Can anybody explain why there's sandbags up here? I don't know. What was that? Oh, flood is coming, yeah. Well, it's good to see you guys. Uh, Colossians, I hope, has been a great book for you and your Christian walk. And uh, it's interesting, when you get to the end of a book like this and you just see a list of names, you think, well, is it really that important? But I think there's a number of great lessons that we can pull from these verses in chapter 4, verses uh, 7 to the end of the chapter, verse 18. But before I do that, who knows what November 17th is? We know what November 17th is without Googling it? Is it your niece's birthday? Well, I'll tell her happy birthday, but that's not what I'm looking for. It's not a Tuesday. Well, it might be, actually. I don't know. I can't say that authoritatively. November 17th is National Unfriend Day on Facebook, okay? <laughs> Where what you should do on that day is go through your list of Facebook friends and really cut off the people that you know are just mere acquaintances. I would like to start a, a website that's called Acquaintance Book. And that way, you can take all the people that you are kind of friends with and just say, hey, be my acquaintance on Acquaintance Book. And then we can have things like, I'm mildly interested in what you just posted and click those types of things on there. Um, we'll see if it takes off or not. But he wants you to go through, it's a, and you've got to defriend anyone who you, you don't normally talk to. And he says one of the ways you can do this is, you know, post something like, hey, a pipe just burst uh, in my uh, bathroom. Who can come over and help? And the people who comment and say, I'm going to come over and help are really your friends. Everybody else who posts about the burrito they ate for lunch are not really your friends, okay? We, in our culture, have a, a, a disdained and maybe a, a misconception of what a real, genuine friend is. And I think that's to our detriment, because in the church especially, we should have a, a, such a network, such a group of friends that allow us to carry out ministry that we can do great things for the Lord Jesus Christ. Friendships, relationships, these are influential things that everybody has, and we need to make sure that they're ones that are pushing us towards godliness. In fact, there's a very striking verse. You can just write it down, 1 Corinthians 15.33. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. It highlights the influence that friends have on our lives. It highlights the influences that relationships have in our day-to-day -day growth. They, they mold, they shape, they really cement and define our character. So we better be very careful about the friends that we choose. Bad company does corrupt good morals, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Now that does not mean that I can't be friends with a non-Christian. That does not mean I can't have friends outside of the church. Uh, earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 5, Paul says, hey, I'm not telling you not to associate with, you know, people who are sinners, because to do that, you'd have to leave the world. The type of people I'm telling you not to associate with are those people who would call themselves Christians, but they really don't live like it. Those are really the most dangerous types of relationships you can have. People who confess one way, but live another. And I think that's exactly what's going on in 1 Corinthians 15, because there's a group of people saying, hey, the resurrection's not really going to happen. It's no big deal. And Paul says, hey, wait a second, if the resurrection hasn't happened, then what are we doing here? We might as well eat, drink, and be merry tomorrow and die because none of this matters. Bad company does corrupt good morals. So we've got to make sure that the friends that we're choosing are people who espouse really similar beliefs to what we have, but also live it out in their everyday lives, okay? It really shows us the truth of Psalm 1. Remember Psalm 1, 1 and 2? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers, right? That person who's not associated, friends, has relationships with those type of people because they tend to be more of the influencers rather than that person influencing them. 
That person is blessed if they take time letting the word of God influence them and shape and mold their character. They become like a tree planted by streams of water and end up being in the congregation of the righteous, the fellowship of the righteous at the end. So it is true that we need to have these type of relationships. In fact, if you think about it, God created us in the Garden of Eden to have relationships, friendships. God created Adam, says, hey, it's not good for Adam to be alone. I need you to have someone. I need you to have a closeness, a fellowship, a a relationship. And it's going to be your your spouse, and you guys are going to be close, one flesh. So really, if we're going to talk about friendship, we should just take a look at our our, spouse that we came here with. That is the ultimate primary friendship that you have. We don't want to treat marriage as you know, just a contract, just a, a roommate situation where it's two people trying to live under one roof. We're, we're, we're friends. We have relationships. Or sadly enough, you, uh, maybe another analogy would be if you have kids, you often see parents are like Little League coaches. Anybody ever coached Little League before here? Coached Little League for your kid? Well, those Little League coaches, you have other coaches with you. And typically what happens? You're nice to that other coach. And you're really only there together when the kids are there, and you're there for the good of the kids. And then when the kids leave, you guys really aren't together. Sadly, that describes a lot of marriages that, hey, we're here, we're invested for the kids, kids go off. Well, now there's no friendship, no relationship between the husband and wife. And that's why there's so many divorces after kids leave the home. The primary friendship, the primary relationship you should be developing, and what we've tried to do all year is make sure that you put the primary focus on the relationship between you and your spouse. But having said all that, now we see the benefit in chapter 4 of Colossians of having a group of friends, a network of friends that are really like-minded like you that will help you accomplish great things for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't do this, you're you're setting yourself up for failure. Write down these two verses. First of all, Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. If we're not pursuing friendships, if we don't have a brotherhood, if we don't have a sisterhood, we don't have uh, you know, just a camaraderie with people, a partnership. We're setting ourselves up for failure. Proverbs 18, 1 and 2 um, says this. It'll come to my mind. Just give me one second. It's coming. Uh, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. He wars out against all sound counsel. So if I choose to deny the way I was created, to be in a community of people, to help bless other people, to point other people to God, and I separate myself, I'm going to seek my own desire. I'm going to be a very selfish person goes on to say he wars out against all sound counsel. Somebody could come and say, hey, what you're doing is foolish, and you won't take that because you push people away. Verse 2 is so poignant. It says, the, the fool takes no pleasure in understanding other people. He only cares about his own opinion. Does that describe you in your own life? You could care less about understanding someone else and what they're trying to communicate to you. You'd really just like to pontificate on your opinion, Okay. Now, that's different than standing up for the truth, which might divide you from friends, but there is an idea where you care so much about your opinion and you're not even willing to listen to the counsel of someone else. It's very dangerous to do that. Okay, that's uh, Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. But Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12, really gives us the positive aspect of it. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, is talking about two are definitely better than one. First of all, because they'll get double the reward for their toil. If you're a farmer and you're working the grass by yourself, or you're working it with two people, you're going to get more if you have two people working together. It's just smarter to work with in a company of people. But it's also safer, it says, if you, if you fall down and you've got someone there to help lift you up, that's a lot easier than falling by yourself. Remember we gave the uh, analogy from Colossians 3 about putting sin to death in your life from Aaron Ralston, the guy who fell in the cave. 
And he had to make the hard decision of cutting off something that was going to be painful, but it ultimately saved his life. That's the way we want to approach fighting sin. But if you think about it from another perspective, imagine if Aaron would have gone, you know, cave climbing with a friend. And when he got stuck, rather than having to cut his arm off, maybe the friend could have moved the boulder or helped him out or gone and got help. He could have been there if he wasn't by himself. We see it's just more secure to be with other people. And so it's not only your detriment if you don't do it, you're missing out on a great benefit if you do have it. So we want to make sure we are developing these godly, godly friendships. And so what I want to do from Colossians 4, really these last uh, 11 verses, there's so many different relationships we could talk about from the Apostle Paul, um, but I'm just going to pick four. What I want to do is I want to pick four, we're going to go through them, and I'm going to tell you the types of friends that you should be looking for. And then I'm also going to describe the type of friend that you should be to other people. And that's what I constantly want you to be thinking. Do I have these types of friends in my life? And am I this type of friend to other people? Because if I want, uh, what is it, Matthew 7, 12, other people to do unto me as I would like them to do, as I do unto them, I would not only want these types of friends in my life, but I want to be these types of friends to other people. So if you have your Bibles, go to uh, Colossians 4, and we're going to see this. Colossians 4, 7. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He is my beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Okay, so first principle, find friends who have common goals. Okay, find friends who have common goals. You want to be united in service people. You want to grow. You want to do something great for the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. Paul was not a man isolated from other people. He used other people. He's a part of the body of Christ. He's able to accomplish great things because he functioned the way that God wanted them to. And we need to find friends who have common goals. We see that with Tychicus. He was a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and notice this, fellow servant, which in the Greek is soon doulos, a slave with someone. I was a, a slave with Tychicus. We were a slave, and we were both a slave in the same realm with the same goal. We were a slave in the Lord. Now the question becomes, who is this Lord? That's what the book of Colossians has been arguing the whole time. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Colossians 1, 15 to 18. Jesus is the Lord. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. So Paul has a friend who is a fellow servant, a fellow slave with the same goal of honoring this Lord who deserves to be preeminent in everything. So ask yourself this question. Take a look at the friends in your life and are they devoted to the preeminence of Jesus Christ? And are you that type of friend that promotes the preeminence of Jesus Christ in other people's lives? Because that is what the Bible is asking us to do. Have a common goal, be another, another biblical metaphor, be yoked together with someone to promote the preeminency of Jesus Christ. If you think of a yoke, do you know what a yoke looks like? It's that, that big piece of wood that would tie one ox together with another ox, okay? And they would work together towards a common goal. We want to be yoked together with the same friends, with the same mindset, with the same goal moving forward. Now that that idea of yoke is very helpful because if you think of a, a yoke and it's, it's, got a, it's got an ox here and it's forcing the ox to go this way and we've got an ox here going this way, 
if for some reason one of these two beasts wanted to go off to another route, you would start to feel some tension. You'd start to feel some pull. You'd start to feel some fight. And that's a great idea to think when you're evaluating your friendships. Is there tension? Is there pull? Is there fighting? Well, it could be because somebody is moving from the goal that you guys agreed on in the friendship. We are here to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you start to feel pull. Who's moving? Are you moving from the goal of making Jesus Christ preeminent? Is somebody else moving in that goal? You're going to start to feel some tension because you guys are yoked together. Hopefully you care enough to, if it's not you, to pull the other person back or to receive a, bu- a rebuke if it is you who's doing it. We've got to make sure that we have friends with a common goal. Okay, That's verse 7. Verse 8 says this, I send him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your heart. Okay, verse 9, and with Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Okay, so this is uh, quality number two. Not only do you want to find friends with a common goal, you want to find friends who forgive. Okay, you want to find friends who forgive, have the ability to forgive. You don't have to be in relationships long to know that you need to learn to develop the ability to forgive other people. And it's kind of ironic that I have to sit here to a group of people who would profess to be Christians and say, I've been forgiven by God, and yet it's hard for us to forgive sometimes? I don't think we really understand what forgiveness is. But if you're going to have relationships and you realize that relationships are two sinners, sometimes on a crash course trying to steal glory from God, there's bound to be some tension. So we need to learn how to forgive. How do I get that in this text? Well, Onesimus is a guy that was with the Apostle Paul who's being sent back with this letter, the, the letter to the Colossians, and also the letter to Philemon. That's a book in your Bible. Go to the book of Philemon, okay? Titus, Philemon, okay? These two letters were being sent with these two men to go back to the Colossian church, which, according to Philemon, uh, meets in his house. Philemon 1 One says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, in the church in your house. This is letting us know that really the Colossian church more than likely met in Philemon's house. And Philemon was a wealthy man who owned slaves, and Onesimus was one of his slaves at one time and bolted. Okay, You can't do that in the Greek culture. If, you, if you're a, somebody's slave, you're their property. And if you leave, they have right, if you come back, to either kill you, brand you as a fugitive, or to just punish you mercilessly. Okay? You were a piece of property if you were a slave. So Onesimus has taken off. Philemon becomes a Christian, has a church meet in his house. Uh, Onesimus meets a guy named the Apostle Paul in Rome and gets converted under his ministry. Take a look at verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you, Philemon, to do this, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now and a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child, here it is, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now indeed he's useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending him back to you my, as my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him here with me in order that he might serve me um, on your behalf during my imprisonment, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be made by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps was why he was departed from you for a while, 
that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a brother, especially to me, but now much more to you in both flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, there's that idea of friendship, fellowship, same goal. Receive him as you would receive me. And if he's wronged you at all and owes you anything, charge that to my account. By all accounts, in the early church, there was great forgiveness there. I think Onesimus was sent back to Paul to minister to him. And some of the ancient church fathers even speak of a, a bishop, Onesimus, who might have been this exact guy who, because of forgiveness on Philemon's part, allowed that to happen. Guys, there's, there's something as an analogy that we can see here with Paul. Paul said, I'm sending him to you, and if he's done something against you with his repentant attitude, I want you to put whatever he owes on my account. Well, that's the same thing that you and I can do with our relationship to God and let's say our spouse or let's say a friend. They come to us in humble repentance saying, I need your forgiveness, and we can charge whatever broke us between on the Lord's account because really he's forgiven us more and given us more than we deserve. It should be easy for us to forgive. That's the parable of Matthew 18, 21 to 35. The wicked slave who was forgiven much but couldn't forgive is not really a slave or servant of God at all. So if you want friendships, you want to be able to develop relationships, you've got to be a person who forgives. If you have a problem with that, I wouldn't check maybe so much your horizontal relationships. I would check your vertical one. Because I don't think you really understand what God's done for you in the gospel. You've got to be forgiving people if we're going to have friendships. Okay? If we're going to develop relationships. If you're going to be vulnerable to one another. Back to Colossians uh, chapter 4. I was Onesimus. I want to find friends who forgive. I want to be forgiving friends. So do you have those type of friends who are forgiving people? And are you a forgiving person to your friends? Verse 10. Um, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, which again is a whole sermon we could take on him if we wanted to. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these men are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. But here we go. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand more fully mature and fully assured of all the will of God. Okay? So quality number three, find friends who pray biblically. Find friends who pray biblically. That means these types of friends are praying for you. They're praying for you constantly. They're praying for the will of God to happen in your life. And they're praying for your character to develop, okay? Now, it's not bad to pray for temporary and material things. We need to take all things to God in prayer so he gets all honor and glory. But what we've seen in the book of Colossians especially, Paul prays for the Colossians. Paul exhorts them to constantly pray for one another. And then he tells them that their pastor, Epaphras, who's with Paul, constantly struggles for them in prayer. So do you have friends in your life that you can guarantee struggle for you in prayer? Agonizomai. Just, just persistently, consistently, day in and day out. I know this guy is praying for me. I know this gal is praying for me. You need that. If you're going to develop any type of meaningful friendship, a friendship that's going to help you do the things that Christ wants you to do, you've got to have these types of friendships. Notice that he's struggling constantly that you may stand mature. And that's why I'm saying you're praying for one another to grow in character, to grow to be like Jesus Christ. Not just so that temporary things will get taken care of, which we do want. 
but that ultimately your character will be fully formed, standing mature in God's eyes. If I could just speak, you know, from a testimony this week, just a number of close friends of mine have just gone through some very difficult times. I mean, you know some of them in this group. Just some very tough physical times. But spending time in prayer with them, one of, one of, one of my friends asked me, just said, hey, just pray that when I'm there, I'll share the gospel with the nurses. That's what he wanted me to pray. That, that's a character prayer for that guy. He, he knows that he's got some things temporarily he'd like taken care of, but ultimately my concern, if my common goal is to be towards the Lord Jesus Christ and have him glorified, well, pray that I take advantage of those types of things. And of course, I want to be faithful to do that. I want to say, hey, you know I'm going to do that for you, and we're going to rejoice when that happens at the end. Those are the types of things you need. And I tell you, that develops a bond between two people that really not much can break. You want to have friends? You want to have real, genuine friendships? Do you have friends who pray biblically? And do they pray biblically for you? And then do you pray for your friends? I mean, how many times do you go into accountability? Oh, will you guys pray for me? Will you guys pray for me? And are you willing to just say, oh, give me a list. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. You've got to be that type of friend to somebody if you're asking them to be that type of friend to you. So have friends who pray like Epaphras, struggling on behalf in prayers for you. Verse 13 of chapter 4 says this, For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and for those at Heriopolis. Luke, the beloved physician, again greets you. And this could be another whole sermon. The guy who wrote the book of Luke, the book of Acts, Paul's close friend, we could go off on him and talk. But I want to talk again here in verse 14, as does Demas. Okay? Demas is a man, if you've done any sort of reading in the New Testament, who uh, has an interesting progression. We have him here in Colossians 4, and maybe some hints that Paul and him are not seeing eye to eye on some things. I mean, Paul's going on in detail about all these other people, and he just, he kind of mentions Demas as, you know, kind of a throw-off. If you write down 2 Timothy 4.10, when Paul's at the end of his life, he's about to be killed by Nero, he says, hey, everyone's deserted me, and I need you to come to me, Timothy. Bring me a cloak, bring me the parchments, bring me some books so I can read. Uh, because everyone's left me, even Demas, who loved this present world, left me and forsook me. Okay? So if you want to have a good group of friends, you've got to watch out for the friends that you let in and make sure, number four, that you find friends who avoid worldliness. Worldliness is a, a cancer in the Christian life. If you think that you can play games with sin and you can trifle with it and it's okay, it's not. Demas is here listed at least among some faithful brothers and then, you know, 10 years later is known as a man who loves the world. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father can't be in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, that's not from the Father, that's from the world. The world is passing away in all its lusts, but the one who does the will of God he will abide forever. So what are your friends like? Are they the ones who excuse worldliness in you? They kind of let it go. Accountability, oh, it's no big deal. That's, you're fine. Do they encourage? Do they entice you to worldliness? Are you a friend that, that does the same exact thing? We've got to have people who are willing to stand up and say, I, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to play with that. Because sin is so serious. Here's James, what it says. Sin, or temptation, when it gives birth, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully formed, it leads to death. If, if we believe the Bible's true, do you want to trifle with that? 
You willing to be flippant with a gun in your house? I don't think you are. You're very, you know, it's a very dangerous thing. You want to be wise with it. You want to be wise with how you use it. Well, how much more so with sin that is a killer? Why would we even trifle with it? We can't do that. So do you have friends that avoid worldliness? And are you that type of friend that helps your friends avoid worldliness? Verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to those at Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also among the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So we find that Paul has just had a group of men who have allowed him to stay faithful. He didn't fight the fight alone. He didn't do it in isolation. He had a group of friends that were there for him. This summer, this is what's going to happen. We don't meet regularly. You saw the events. We want you at all of them. But we hope that the, the, the regular meetings will still take place by your own initiative. You guys are adults. You can call one another. You don't need a Thursday night. In fact, if you believe the Bible and say, I need this type of fellowship, you're going to seek it out. So during the summer, use the time wisely developing friendships, developing relationships, saying, not only do I want these kind of friends, but I need to be this type of friend to somebody else. And that's how you're going to watch your summer not only be a restful time, not only be a joyful time, not only be a great time, but you're going to see some relationships and some bonds develop that you've never seen before. We need that. We need that type of unity because it's dangerous out there in the world. Uh, I don't know if you know, it takes, uh, I was reading somewhere that it takes less than a dozen hungry wolves to spook a herd of a hundred caribou, okay? Less than 12 wolves to spook a herd of a hundred caribou, and this is what they do. They send the fastest wolf through the middle of the pack, and that causes them to get scared and frightened, and instead of staying together strong in numbers, they flee, and they become individuals, and they become prey, and they become targets, okay? If you go out into this world, into this summer, individually. Wolves will prey on you. Actually, the Bible says a lion's going to prey on you. The devil's going to prowl around like a roaring lion. If you're by yourself, you are a weak prey, and you're going to be easy pickings. There is strength in number. The herd mentality is true. We want to unite together, join together with genuine friendships, all working towards the joy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So my challenge to you this summer is, let's take full advantage of that. Make sure we develop the friends and are the friends that we want to be in other people's lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the book of Colossians. It's just been a great look to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, may we understand what it means for him to be glorified, him to be preeminent, him to be the one to whom we look to always, and may we give him glory with the way that we live. God, help us to be able to cut out what we need, put to death what is earthly in us, keep our minds set on things above, serve one another, love for one another, care for one another, also that you get the glory. We pray this all in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.